My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that His Word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of His Word would point you to Him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly. Family. Um, it is with a, a great deal of joy and excitement that we get to welcome today uh, Dr. Robert Morgan uh, to Christ Community. He has been in town working uh, with a sister church, Crossroads Baptist, on Friday night and then Sound Choices yesterday, a ministry that we support as well as a church. Uh, but uh, Dr. Morgan, we are glad to have you here today. Uh, he is a, a pastor in a church in, in Nashville and a prolific writer. He's written over 20 books, um, many of them bestsellers. Uh, Red Sea Rules is a book that's kind of sweeping through the, the church right now. A lot of churches are locking onto this. Interestingly, uh, months ago, we, we found a curriculum called Crisis 101 that is one of our uh, Sunday night life school classes. We're, tonight is only the second night So if you weren't here last Sunday or you hadn't gotten in a group, you may want to get in this one. Crisis 101 is based on his book, The Red Sea Rules. It is a great, great book that uh, you would be blessed by uh, to be a part of that class. But um, he is going to be here after the service. He's got a book table out in the back. Uh, He would love for you to come meet him there. Uh, But Dr. Morgan, would you come? Would you welcome him as he comes? Thank you, brother. God bless you and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you. It's a joy for me to be here. I've been looking forward to it. And what a tremendous church this is. We had a wonderful service in the first hour and a lot of people here. And I thought, well, surely most people come in the first hour. But now look at this. And to uh, see and feel and experience the exuberance of your worship and to be with your wonderful pastor and his wife, and to see how wise and and gentle and enthusiastic they are. Uh, It's just a real joy for me. So thank you so much for the invitation to be here. I value it. And I do want to say that there are some resources and books we have on the back table. This little book that Pastor Keith was talking about, The Red Sea Rules, it's really remarkable that this has been on the market for uh, 15 years Uh, It came out at $10. It's still $10, but we sell it at events like this for $5. And we sell it in case lots for $5 because people just buy this and give it away. It's based on the story of the Israelites trapped at the Red Sea. They couldn't go forward. They couldn't go backward. They were just in a difficult place in life. And many people are in difficult places in life. And the same God who led us in will lead us out. And that's what this little book is about. And I would encourage you to check out the Sunday night Crisis 101 group. I think you would enjoy it. And then my wife has helped me in this book. It just came out last month. It's called The Strength You Need. My wife is disabled with multiple sclerosis. And she battles weakness. And sometimes I battle weakness helping her. And so we found 12 verses about strength in the Bible. And we have claimed those as our strength verses. We call them our extra strength verses. And so we have that book back there as well as some others. 
And I'd also like to give you my website so that you can check out all of our resources there. It is robertjmorgan.com. And if you're on Facebook, if you would just go there, you can link to my Facebook page, which is Robert J. Morgan Ministries. And it would just be wonderful if you would... um, Uh, You and I could have this uh, friendship going on like that. So Robert J. Morgan and Robert J. Morgan Ministries is our website, our Facebook place. And I think that there are resources there that may be of help to you in your uh, Christian life and in every uh, thing you do. We also, I know that some of you, in, in addition to this wonderful music we had today, you love the old hymns of the faith and we have a volume of the stories behind the great hymns back there. And on one side is the hymn, and on the other side is the story behind it. And uh, so check all of that out and uh, be in touch with us if we can ever be of help. And any time you're in Nashville, Tennessee, our uh, church is near the uh, Opryland area of Nashville. I know some of you go up there, and so um, uh, you're always welcome to drop in and worship with us. With us. And when I'm in Columbus, then... I would jump at every chance to be able to be with you and to experience the kind of worship we've had this morning. Well, at our church in Nashville, we did a survey earlier this year, and we asked people to give us the questions that they would like to have answered in a sermon series. And we were surprised at some of the results. And one of the leading questions that came back to us is the question, what is spiritual warfare. People have heard that term, but what is spiritual warfare? And the answer is that spiritual warfare is the biblical teaching that there is a devil, there are demons, there are forces of evil in this world. These demonic forces have created a demonic grid around this world, and they account for much of the evil that is happening and a lot that is going wrong in our world today and in our nation and sometimes in our personal lives is the result of satanic and demonic involvement, and we must be aware of that. And I'm not sure that we are as aware of that as we should be, certainly when we look at the international conditions. And we see what is happening around the world and the geopolitical strife and the fragmentation of the Middle East and the rise of Russia into another uh, configuration that resembles the Soviet Union and the way that things seem to be uh, falling apart in our world. There is demonic involvement in all of that. The Bible has a lot to say about it. And in fact, there's a very interesting verse in 1 John. This isn't my major text, so... I'm not going to have you turn there in your Bibles, but First John chapter 5 and verse 19. I've thought about this verse over and over again this year as I've seen the headlines and as I look at what's happening in our nation. First John 5, 19 says, we know that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now think about the implications of that. There are a group of people through Jesus Christ who belong to God. But everybody else is under the control of the evil one, the world of academia and the world of the media and the world of journalism and the world of finance 
and the world of geopolitical politics, the world of diplomacy. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Hollywood is under the control of the evil one. We are children of God. We know that. And the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And when we see things like ISIS, as your pastor was mentioning, and we cannot understand the level of barbarity and evil that is taking place there, and we see them burning people in cages and crucifying children and burying people alive, and we wonder, how do you account for this kind of evil? And the media has a word, radicalized. But I think the more accurate term is demonized. I think there is a level of demonic involvement in some of these things that we don't really fully know about, but the Bible teaches that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we proclaim him as our Savior and Lord, then we become soldiers of the cross. And the life that we live as Christians is a battle, and the life that we have in this world is on a battlefield. And as you go into the world this week, you're going on to a battlefield. And the Bible's primary passage about this, the premier and most definitive passage in the Bible on spiritual warfare is in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles or you have your Bible on your phones, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to this great passage. I'll read it for you and then just make some comments on it. But it's found in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll read beginning with verse 10. So Ephesians 6, beginning with 10, going through verse number 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, always be alert And keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Well, in this entire passage, there are really two primary commandments. Two things we are to do. Battle instructions. And the first one is to be strong in the Lord. Verse 10, that's the way it begins. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And I've been thinking a great deal about this commandment to be strong. It occurs 32 times in the Bible. 
it begins with Moses telling Joshua before Moses died and Joshua was getting ready to lead the Israelites into the promised land. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And the psalmist said, wait on the Lord and be strong and let your heart take courage. And David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and do not be afraid or discouraged because the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all of the service for the temple of the Lord is finished. And Paul said to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And here in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And over and over and over again, the Bible tells us to be strong. It isn't just a need that we have. It's an obligation that we must keep. This is a commandment. Now, we can't be strong in ourselves or in our own strength, but we've got to be strong in the Lord. And this is a very relevant commandment for these days, because if there was ever a time when we needed to be strong, it's now. We need to be stronger against temptation right now than we've ever been before, because temptation is stronger And somehow our technology has intensified the temptations, and there are all kinds of temptations we're subject to now in the very palm of our hands with our mobile phones that other generations didn't need to have. And we've got to be strong against temptation and strong against intimidation. We have a society right now that has been so secularized they can tolerate everyone and anyone except for Christians. And it's a very important time for us to not be intimidated, but to be intrepid and to take our stand for the cross and for the Lord. And we've got to be stronger husbands and stronger wives. Your marriage has got to be stronger next year than it is this year and stronger the year after next. And we've got to be strong in our defense of Christianity and strong in our hope. And we've got to be strong in the evangelistic witness we give to this community. And this is a church, I can tell you are a strong church. Not every church is. But this is a church that's got to be stronger in the future than it's ever been in the past because the needs of this community are greater now than ever before. And so the Apostle Paul says, you're in a battle, and there's a commandment here from the commanding officer, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then the second commandment is to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And he says the reason is because we're not really battling other people. The foe that we face is not Clinton or Trump or Republicans or Democrats or Russians or Chinese. It is the unseen forces in the heavenly realm. There's a cosmic battle going on, and there are demonic forces in a grid around this world, and the Bible calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. And it says he's a roaring lion looking for people that he can attack. And he says, we've got to be strong in the Lord and put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stands against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against, and now he, the old translation says, the principalities and powers. And the newer ones say, against the rulers, against the authorities, referring to the hierarchy of demonic armies that are surrounding this world, against the powers of this dark age, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. 
So all over this world and throughout this universe and in ways that we can't see, maybe even hovering over this church or over your home or in your life, there are these satanic, demonic forces, and they are attacking you. And the moment you become a follower of Christ, then you are recruited into the army. And he says here, we've got to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. So that he says here, when the day of evil comes, we may be able to take our stand against the devil and having done everything to stand. And I don't think in this context that if evil is referring to the second coming of Christ or Armageddon or the tribulation period, I think that means when the devil attacks us. On the day when the devil attacks you. You know, there came a day when he attacked Job. So on the day when the devil attacks you, You'll not be caught unawares. You'll be ready. Your armor will be on, and you're geared for the fight because the Bible teaches that we are victorious through Christ, but we've got to have our armor on. And now he's going to list for us the different pieces of armor. But I want to say something before I discuss these pieces of armor. He talks about the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, the sword, and then our communications gear. I'm going to not say a whole lot about these individual pieces of literal armor as the soldiers of Rome wore them. I'm just going to try to drop the figure of speech and tell you here what he is meaning in practical terms in our lives. I've preached from this passage through the years, and I've heard a lot of sermons on it. And sometimes I've come away and understood Roman armor much better than I really understood what Paul was trying to tell us here in a practical way. Now, the armor, the whole concept of armor is a biblical model that goes all the way back to the book of Isaiah. There's a passage in Isaiah that talks about how God has the breastplate of righteousness in front of him and the helmet of salvation on his head. So Paul here was picking up biblical terminology, but he was doing it very practically because he wrote to the Ephesians from prison And he was probably looking at a Roman soldier while he wrote this. So he is using very vivid language here. But what does he mean when he talks about the belt and the breastplate and the shield and the other things? Well, there are seven different instructions that are implied in this armor. And I want to give them to you beginning with number one. We have to trust every word from our commanding officer. That's the first instruction here. We've got to trust in this battle. You've got to trust every word from your commanding officer. Look at verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. In other words, we have to wrap ourselves in the infallibility of Scripture. The Bible says all Scripture is inspired by God. Breathed out by him, every word of this book is dependable and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for instruction, and for the equipping and righteousness that we need. And it's terribly important that we wrap ourselves in the infallibility of Scripture and hold up the Scriptures and that we pour ourselves into them every day because this is our battle code. These are our secret instructions, our sealed orders for the battle. And, you know, I said on Facebook this week that some people open their Bibles so seldom that it creates a dust storm which would resemble the Dust Bowl days if everyone in America, every Christian who had a Bible in every church 
that had Bibles. A lot of them don't use them. This one does. But if we all opened our Bibles at the same time, it might create a cloud so thick you would think the dust bowl days had come again. But it might just be a cloud that would break with righteousness on our land if we would open our Bibles. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said once that she was a lifelong student of Scripture. She studied the Bible every day. She had an old desk, and she would go there every day with her notebooks and her commentaries, and she had a special pen, and she was really a very serious Bible student. And someone asked her, where did you learn to study the Bible like this? And she said, well, I grew up in China where my parents were both missionaries. My father, Dr. Nelson Bell, was a missionary physician. And every morning as a child when I came down for breakfast, I would see him there at his desk poring over the scriptures and studying it before he went out into the day. And in the evening, as I went back up to bed, I would see my mother, her day's work behind her, sitting at the kitchen table doing the same. And I reasoned and learned from a very early age that any book that would so draw the attention of my parents like that must be a book worth studying. And she said, even as a child, I began to learn the importance and the joy of studying the Bible. She said, I found it to be, in the words of an old Scotsman, sweet pasturage. Now, in our homes, I know that our children see us looking at our phones a lot and looking at our computers a lot and our tablets a lot and the television and the newspapers and the magazines, but do they see us pouring ourselves into Scripture? We've got to pour ourselves into Scripture in a way that is obvious to the other members of our family that we are students of the Bible, and we've got to wrap ourselves in the infallibility of Scripture. We have truth on our side. The secular media doesn't, and the university and the secular professors don't, and all of the liberals that tell us a lot of non-traditional things that correspond to the lies of the devil. They don't have the truth on their side. They sound like they do, but we have the truth on our side. And we've got to wrap ourselves in the infallibility of Scripture and trust every word from our commanding officer. That's the first thing. The second thing is we've got to live above reproach. Make up your mind you're going to live a life that reflects the holiness and the righteousness of Christ. Look at verse 14 again. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. In other words, with the help and by the grace of God, you've got to live a life that doesn't allow the devil to get a foothold where he can attack you. And you've got to make up your mind where your standards are, where your convictions are, and you've got to live by that. And the devil cannot do a whole lot with someone who seeks through God's help to live a righteous life. Now, if you make the wrong choices and mess up your life, he can do a lot to torment you. But he doesn't have a whole lot of ability to do a lot with someone who, like Daniel, determines in his heart that he's not going to be defiled or to be sin, to, to sin. My wife and I just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary, and I was thinking about something that in all of these years, and I say this humbly and honestly and openly, but in all of these 40 years, somehow I have never been tempted to be unfaithful to her or her to me. And I was wondering, how could that be? Because I know there are a lot of men and women who struggle with temptation and infidelity. 
And then I was reading a friend by my a book by my friend um, Rick Hale, who pastors in New Mexico. I was just with him a couple of weeks ago, and he wrote a book and sent me a copy. And he said something similar. He said, in 35 years, I've never been tempted to be unfaithful to my wife. And he said, the reason is, and I read that with great interest because I was wondering how a person escapes temptation like that and, and how I'd managed to escape it, and it's God's grace. But he said, the reason is because even before I was married, I put guardrails in place. He said, I put protective habits in place in my life and determined that I wouldn't get anywhere near that ditch. And he said, those guardrails have protected my life and my morality all these years. And I want to say to the students that are here and the teenagers and the young adults, you got to make up your mind where your convictions are and where your standards are and determine to keep them. And have this breastplate of righteousness in place. If you do that, the devil has a very hard time messing up your life. But you can live this way by the grace of God. You can do this. If you say, what does the Lord want me to do? And what are his standards? What are his convictions? How can I live? And you make some decisions and you place some things in in place in your life. You get some habits going. And the Lord can give you victory. And you can put these guardrails up in your life early that will keep you from making mistakes and the wrong decisions and allow the devil to mess up your life. That's the breastplate of righteousness. And so you got to make up your mind you're going to live a life that is above reproach. And the third thing is you got to cultivate evangelistic zeal because verse 15 says that you not only need the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place, but have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So your feet mean you're running somewhere, and readiness means you are ready to go with the gospel of peace. And how is that a weapon against the devil? Well, it's very simple. When you turn every situation of life into a testimony, into an arena where you can share your witness, the devil just doesn't know what to do with that. He sends you a problem, and you look around and you say, well, I have this problem, but maybe this is an occasion in which I can share the gospel with someone who I wouldn't have been able to if I hadn't have had this problem. Or you have a crisis, and you say, I hate going through crises, and I'm a nervous wreck, but look, here is someone that I've met because of this crisis I wouldn't have ever met before, and I'm going to share the gospel with them. And you just turn every arena of life into an occasion for sharing the gospel. Every problem becomes a pulpit. If that is your basic philosophy in life, then the devil doesn't know what to do with that. The more he attacks you, the greater evangelist you become. I have a friend, Jerry Pinkerton, who was for many years a missionary in Abidjan in the Ivory Coast of West Africa, Cote d'Ivoire. And he was kidnapped one day. And men got stuffed him in a car one on one side of him and the other on the other side in the back seat, and they drove off, and they were going to hold him, and they had guns in his face. And he later told me, he said, as he recounted this incident, he said, at first I was scared, but he said, then I realized that trapped in that car between those two men with guns, I had a captive audience. And he said, I started sharing my testimony and telling him about Christ. And he said, they didn't want to hear it, and they threatened to shoot me. 
And somehow the Lord just took away all fear. And I said, you go ahead and shoot me. He said, if you shoot me, I'll go right to heaven. You're going to go to hell if you don't listen to what I say. And he kept on preaching to them. They eventually pulled alongside the edge of the, they pushed him out of the car. <laughs> they, they couldn't take it any longer. And they stopped and pushed him out of the car. And he caught a taxi back to Abidjan. And when he arrived back at his church, everybody who had heard what had happened was there on their knees praying for him. When he walked in, it was like Peter walking in after he'd been released from prison. They couldn't believe it. But he got his witness in to these men. So when you find every situation in life becomes an arena in which you can share your testimony, you turn the tables on the devil. And it becomes a powerful weapon. I think that's what it means to have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And then, fourthly, you have to trust God with every trial. The devil will try to tear you down. He does it with me too, with trials. But look at verse 16. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What is the shield of faith? Whenever you have a problem, some of you are having some issue in your life right now. You may even, it may even be hard to be here and focus your mind on what I'm saying because you're distracted by this problem you have. Uh, sometimes I have problems and I just obsess over them. But whenever you have a crisis or a problem or a dilemma or a need, there is somewhere in God's word a promise that speaks to the very issue you are facing. And when you search out the Bible and God gives you that promise and you begin to focus on that promise, it becomes a shield. That's the shield of faith, and the devil cannot penetrate the promises of God. Now, you still have your problem there, but instead of acknowledging the Scripture and focusing on the problem, you acknowledge the problem and you focus on the Scripture. And the way in which we build up our faith is by finding those promises in the Bible that meets our needs at any given time, and we Focus our minds and our attentions on those promises. Maybe you'll memorize it. And you say, Lord, this is a terrible thing, but you've told me this. You'll never leave me or forsake me, or my God will meet all of my needs, or cast all your cares on the Lord, and he will care for you. Whatever it is the Word gives you, you memorize it, you learn it, you cling to it, and that promise will never fail you. It becomes a shield of faith that will extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So this is a big part of our armor, have the ability, by God's grace, to trust him with every trial. And then fifthly, remind yourself of heaven. Frequently think about the eternal life that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 17. It says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, I don't think that this means, now, and helmet, you know, the word helmet obviously means that you are wrapping your brain in something. But I don't think that this actually means that we need to be saved because Paul here is writing to people who already were saved. But there's a very helpful cross-reference here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. He said, put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. Put on the hope 
of salvation as a helmet. So what I think he is saying here is that when you're under attack and the devil is after you and you're feeling unusual temptation and you're going through a very terrible trial, whatever it is, that is a good time to allow your mind to study about heaven, to think about heaven, to go to Revelation 21 and 22, to think about the fact that a hundred years from now, whatever it is that's troubling you is not going to be troubling you, that the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed, that all of our problems are temporary, and all of the promises of God are permanent. That's the hope of salvation. So we just think about the future God has given for us. I mean, we're only here for a moment. Our lives in this world are like a vapor that appear here for a little while. We're not in this battle zone for long. We are furloughed to heaven. And so the ability to put on the hope of salvation as a helmet and to go through whatever battles we may face by thinking about what God has planned for us in the future, that is a tremendous part of our armor. And then he also says in verse number 17 that we should not only take the helmet of salvation, but also the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And my suggestion here is that you learn to quote Scripture as easily as quoting your name. If you go through the day just mumbling and quoting and repeating and sharing Scripture, and it's just always circulating through your mind all the time, Well, the devil has a hard time doing anything with somebody like that. I've written a book on biblical meditation, reclaiming the lost art of biblical meditation. It'll be out next March. And I've become so enamored with the subject of how our minds can be transformed by memorizing and meditating Scripture. And what I say in that book, I'll say to you today. We ought to have Scripture circulating through our minds constantly like water through a fountain and like oil through a machine. And you know, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he quoted verses that he had memorized from the book of Deuteronomy. And, you know, to have Scripture memory going on in your life all the time, I'd like to encourage you. I wrote a book about that too, 100 Bible verses everyone on earth should know by heart. I just think that we've got to be working every day on getting verses and passages of Scripture from our conscious minds to our subconscious minds to our unconscious minds so that it just dwells within us richly as we read about in the book of Colossians. And somehow the Word of God overflows and it reaches down into our hands. It becomes a sword and allows us to win the fight against the devil the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And finally, we've got to learn to turn everything over to the Lord in prayer. This is the communications gear of verse number 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, always be alert and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Notice the alls in that verse. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So there's nothing you can't pray about and no problem that you just can't give to the Lord in prayer. And prayer is a tremendous weapon in this fight we have because it's our communications with headquarters. I was reading this week about President William McKinley, who was a Methodist, grew up in 
in a Methodist home and received the Lord at a Methodist camp meeting. And when he was in the White House, there was a delegation of Methodist denominational leaders who came and gave him a certificate of appreciation. They were getting ready to leave. And he called them back. The president called them back. And McKinley said, hang on there. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, I have worried myself to death about what to do with the Philippines. He said, this Philippine problem, I don't know what to do with the Philippines. And he said, I went to the Democrats and I asked them for their advice and they didn't have anything good to tell me. And I went to the Republicans and I asked them for their advice and they didn't have anything good to tell me. So I'll tell you what I did. He said, I paced back and forth in the White House every night. And every night about midnight, I would kneel down on my knees. And I ask Almighty God to show me what to do about the Philippines. And he has shown me and I'm going to do it because the Philippines are people for whom Christ died. And we've got to help them. That was the President of the United States. That's also, that's also the way we figure out what to do in life. We all have our own Philippines. We don't know what to do. But if you'll kneel down and ask the Lord to help you and pray about it and say, Lord, show me what to do about the Philippines, the Democrats can't help you. The Republicans can't help you, but God can help you. And so we are always praying on all occasions for all of God's people. And that's a part of our warfare. So when it comes to spiritual warfare, We're in a battle zone, and there are unseen enemies all around us. But God has given us all of the gear we need. And the instructions are to trust every word of our commanding officer, to make up our minds, young people and everybody else, to live a life above reproach. You can do that now. And to cultivate evangelistic zeal and to trust God with every trial and remind yourself of heaven very frequently. And to quote scripture as freely as saying your name and to pray about everything. And as you do that, there is very little the devil can do to withstand you. Remember what Martin Luther said, and though this world with devil's fills should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. So, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand and having done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And with this in mind, always pray in the Spirit 
on all occasions be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, our God and our Heavenly Father, I know that students here and young adults, dads and moms, senior adults, all of us are leaving here to go right out into war. And I pray that you would help us to be so strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, so well equipped with the armor of God, that not only will we be victorious in our personal lives, but we will be soldiers who advance the kingdom of God in our lifetimes. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless this church and its ministry. And we ask for the defeat of this enemy all around us and for the victory of Christ Jesus our Lord, which he gained when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And we give you ourselves and pray in his name. Amen. Amen.